Dear congregation, I invite you again to turn with me in God's Word to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. As we consider this morning the belt of truth, it can be helpful to begin by considering what is the truth. We live in a day when there's more information available to us than any generation in times past. And yet there are so many people around us who struggle to answer basic questions. The last judge appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court was a lady, and she was asked the question, what is a woman? And this person who was appointed to this court, the highest court in the U.S., was unable to give a definition of what a woman is. As we see such confusion and such uh, brokenness in the world around us, we can uh, become discouraged. As you think about truth, we can also talk about fake news, we can talk about bias, about propaganda, and so many times we have uh, parts of truth presented to us, but it's slanted in a certain way, or we have complete incorrect information given to us. And as we can read various forms of media, or listen, or watch it, we can wonder, is this really true? Is this the whole truth? Am I accurately receiving the facts that are underlying this story? As you look back at the last 50 years and we can see how North America has changed and really the Western world has changed, we can have much reason for concern. But how thankful we can be this morning that our truth, this belt of truth that we are called to put on, to use, that this truth is, is founded on. It is the unchanging, inspired, unerrant word of, inerrant word of God. As we begin this morning, let's quickly review what's covered in verses 10 to 13. The last time we considered uh, that we are to put on the whole armor of God. And immediately when you think of this word armor, you're confronted with this reality that we are involved in a war. Which army are we in? There's two options. Either we are followers of Christ, we're part of the Lord's army, we're a part of Satan's army. We're still living in darkness. We still belong to that kingdom of darkness. So we are in a war. And who are we fighting against? All Christians are soldiers fighting against Satan and his evil forces. We can add to that that we are also dealing with the evil that's existing in this world. And we're called to fight against that remaining sin that lives in our own hearts. And one last point is how can we, being weak, fight? How can we, as, as small, limited people, face Satan who has 6,000 years of experience? Satan with his le- legions of demons and Satan who goes about like a roaring lion. Well, verse 10 is foundational. It says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's only in and with the enabling, empowering strength of God that we're able to use this armor, to put on this armor, and to face Satan and sin. Well, this morning we'll look at verse 14, the first part, and it deals with the belt of truth. And the main idea, if you want to summarize the sermon in a sentence, is stand by believing and applying God's truth to all of our life. 
So stand by believing and applying God's truth to all of our life. That's the, the, the main idea. And our theme this morning is stand, having fastened the belt of truth. We're going to consider this in three thoughts. First, the purpose of the belt of truth. Second, the contents of the belt of truth. And then third, victory with the belt of truth. So begin by seeing the purpose of the belt of truth. And when Paul is telling the Christians in Ephesus to put on these pieces of armor, the first picture that would come to their minds is a Roman soldier. Ephesus was the third largest city of the Roman Empire at this time. And it was an important city on the Aegean coast. So it's part of what we would call Turkey today. And people that lived in Ephesus would often see Roman soldiers marching through their streets. But if these Christians knew their Old Testament well, then these instructions to put on the armor of God would also have brought a different picture to their minds. Throughout the Old, or in several places in the Old Testament, we have descriptions of the great Messiah, warrior, and judge. One of these places is Isaiah chapter 11. And there Isaiah describes the reign of a Jesse's descendant to be a son of David. And we read there in, in Isaiah 11 verses 2 to 5, this the scripture of the coming Messiah. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Especially that last line, and faithfulness, the belt of his waist. And in the Greek translation of Isaiah that Paul would have had, it's the same Greek word used there to describe this, this faithfulness, this belt of truth that applies to Jesus Christ. Another Old Testament example that's, that is pointing us to Christ and that uses this, this warrior language is Isaiah 59. There in verses 15 to 17 we read, So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that, that, that there was no intercessor. Therefore his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own righteousness it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. So we have this picture of a soldier. We need to think both of this, this Roman soldier that the Ephesians are most familiar with. But especially here as Paul is talking about putting on this armor. He is also pointing us to Christ. Christ who, first of all, and most importantly, he wore this armor and he had the victory over Satan. So you think of Christ as he came into this world. 
Let's go back to perhaps the more familiar picture of the Roman soldier or the Israelite man. The clothing that men wore in Bible times, not the pants and shirt that we are familiar with today. Uh, men would have worn a, a simple uh, knee-length tun- tunic. So a tunic, think almost like a, a um, maybe a poor example, but a, a large cloth bag with a hole cut out for the head and for the arms. And that was the, the robe that the average man would wear. And others, so, so there's some would have this knee-length clothing, and others would have longer robes that would almost reach to the ground. And these tunics, for lack of a better word, you can almost say these, these dresses that these men were wearing, these were fine for walking around in and doing your average labor. But if there was some intense activity that you had to do, if you were going to go into battle or had to do some hard work, uh, these, these longer robes would get in the way. So what they would do is they would gird their loins. And this is, you see that also in our passage that we read here in verse uh, 14. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. There's some older words here. Loins is simply referring to your waist. And to girt is to, to tie something around. So that's why I'm using the word belt. But it's the idea of, of tying something around your waist. So these Israelites or even these, these soldiers... If they had to gird their loins, what they would do is they would reach between their legs, grab the back of their robe and pull it up, and they would tuck that into their belt. So now instead of a flowing robes, you have shorts. Shorts that would make you able to, to run quickly and to be ready for battle. We have an example of that in 1 Kings chapter 18. We have there the well-known account of uh, Elijah on Mount Caramel, and after God had sent down fire that, that consumed the sacrifice and the stones and the water, we read how Elijah, I read these words. Uh, first, the prophets had been killed. Elijah prayed that God would send rain. And as the rain clouds are coming in, we read in 1 Kings 18 verse 46, Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So one example, one reason that we need to have this belt, we need to gird up our loins, is to secure loose clothing, to prepare us to be able to move quickly. So there's nothing that's going to hinder us in the way. But a second reason that's the Roman soldiers, and we can apply it to, our, uh, to ourselves spiritually, why they needed this belt, is to secure armor and to hold their weapons. They would wear this breastplate they wanted to look at this afternoon, but a breastplate can bounce up and down, so they would tie the breastplate to the belt to keep it from going up and down. And also you have the weapons, the sword and the daggers. These were attached to the belt. So immediately we can begin to see how important it is to have this belt. And a third reason to have this belt was for identification. This is one part that surprised me when I was studying this, but the belts worn by Roman soldiers were often decorated with silver or bronze. And these belts would set them apart as belonging to a certain legion. These soldiers were proud of these belts and took great care of them. So to take off the belt, if the belt was removed from them, it showed that they were being suspended from their role in the army. 
But the main focus that we should keep in our minds is that we are to, to gird our loins with the truth. We are to put on the belt of tr- truth so we are ready for action. So we have this, this foundation to our armor that's holding everything together. Well, the spiritual application then is quite obvious. We're being called to stand. We see that in verse 14. Stand, therefore. This is not a suggestion This is not a recommendation. This is a command that God himself through the Apostle Paul was speaking to the Ephesians and to all of us through God's word. So we have this command. And to stand in this context here means that a believer is to stand against the attacks of Satan. Remember Satan who comes as we looked at last time against the wiles of the devil We're in this, almost this wrestling match. So how can we stand? What's going to to hold everything together as as we face Satan, as we wear this armor? It's this belt of truth. We need this belt, and by using this belt, we're able to stand and to push back against sin and evil. So we need this belt, specifically we need the belt of truth as Paul describes it in our text. But what then is the belt of truth? If you look at various commentaries, there's, there's kind of two main ways to interpret this. Some say that this belt that we are to, to wear, these are the objective truths that we find in the Bible. Right? And we'll look at some of those in our second point in, in a minute. But the, the truth about who God is, who we are, how we can be saved from our sins. But others say that this belt that we are to, to put on is that the belt of truth is to live truthfully. To live with sincerity and with purity. Not just to have these, these objective truths that we are to believe but that we also apply them to our lives and that we live these truths out. And I think it's really a combination of both of these. The objective truths that we find in God's Word, but also that we don't just have this information, but that we apply it, that we live consistently with this. As I said, our main idea is that we are to stand by believing and applying God's truth to all of our lives. Let's look at this more in our second thought, the contents of the belt of truth, really dealing with the objective truth that we have here. So the reason we need to know the truth is, as verse 11 says, because of the wiles of the devil, Satan wants to make us fall by telling us lies, by confusing us, by taking even God's word out of context, we see that repeatedly throughout Scripture, even in the temptations of Jesus. So we need to, we need to know God's word. As we think of this truth that we need to wear, uh, the short answer to what we put on is God's word, the Bible. We need to believe what God is revealing to us through his word. Think of 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, that's the things we need to believe, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That's how we should live. And why, why do we have that? That the man of God may be complete, 
thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we have God's Word that is the belt with which we are thoroughly equipped. It is God's Word that enables us to stand firmly, to stand with confidence, helps us to to see through the lies and temptations of Satan. This morning we can't cover all of what the Bible teaches in, in a number of minutes. Let's think for, for briefly, what are the essential things that belong to this belt? Things that we need to remember. Things that we need to keep on going back to. Well, certainly, first of all, who is God? Article 1 of the Belgic Confession has a list of attributes about God, uh, the attributes of God. And it seeks to describe to us something of, of who, God is, who God is and what he is like. This list can be helpful for us in giving us a quick overview. It begins by saying that God is eternal. That he is without beginning and without end. As I prayed in a congregational prayer, what confidence, what comfort that reality should give us. He is eternal. God is not just eternal. He's also incomprehensible and infinite. We can never fully and completely understand everything there is to know about God. We are small, finite people. We are creatures that have been made by Him. It is great arrogance and and pride on our part if we ever think we can can know God in, in a perfect and complete way. But again, what confidence that should give us. Our God is so much greater than we are. Our God is so much greater than our enemy is. As we, as we cling to that reality, it should give us confidence. God is invisible. That means he's a spirit and we cannot physically see him. He's not like us in that way. God is immutable. That means he's unchangeable. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Again, as we live in a changing world, this this reality that our God does not change is of great encouragement to believers. Our God is almighty. He has all strength. As we feel our weakness, as we feel our struggles, let's go to this almighty God. God is perfectly wise, means he's, he's all-knowing and always rightly uses his knowledge. So as we struggle with difficult providences in our lives, even as you think about the irrigation problem, right? how are we going to get enough water to, to water the fields and to provide for our crops? We might not have the answers. We not, might not know how this summer is going to turn out. But our God is perfectly wise. And God is just. It means that what he does is always right and always fair. The last attribute listed there is that God is good. Everything he does is good. And as it goes on to say, he is the overflowing fountain of good. We may have been to fountains before. We see the the streams of water coming out the top and, and running down the sides. We have that description of God. Our God is an overflowing fountain of good. Right? So these are realities about God 
that we need to believe, that we need to use to, as our foundation. Next, who are we as people? Genesis 1 and 2 make it very clear that we are made in the image of God. And that's, that applies to everyone. And that means that all people, we have this dignity, this value, this worth. This is true of the unborn child in the womb. This is true of those who have disabilities. This is true of our seniors with dementia and care homes. No matter our state, our condition as people, whether the world sees value in you or not, because we are made in the image of God, God's word tells us we have this value, this this dignity. And we were made for a particular reason, that is to worship God, to praise Him, to glorify Him. So if we're not living in this way, if we're not living seeking God, praising Him, we're missing the main purpose of our life. How can we expect to find joy and fulfillment in the things of this world if we are neglecting the key thing, the foundational thing that God has, has made us to do? And God made us upright. God created us free from sin. He put us in a beautiful world, the Garden of, of Eden. There was no death, no brokenness, no sickness, no sadness, no disappointment. Yet that's not what we see around us today, is it? So what, we can go on to say what happened. That brings us to sin. We as people have rebelled against God. Adam and Eve are our representatives. When they fell, we as a human race fell with them. Now we might not like that. We might say that's not fair. But then we go back again and see this is how God made things. God, this was part of God's plan. And not only did Adam and Eve as our representatives fall, but we continue to join them by, in, in our rebellion, in our sin. In Genesis 3, we as is, is foundational to, to understanding reality. Man sinned. We believed the lies of Satan. We questioned the goodness and the love of God. And we rebelled against God. Even when you look at Eve and how Satan came to her, she did not have that belt of truth firmly around her waist. We see how step by step she begins to take that belt off and to question all these things as she's hearing these lies of Satan. And not only did Adam and Eve sin, but we continue to sin. And how do we know sin? How do we know how God wants us to live? Again, we don't have to try to think of this ourselves. God has given us his word. We read his law week after week. And again, that can become so repetitious, so habitual that we don't think about this. But every week we are reminded, this is how God wants you to live. And if you live in this way, we can expect God to, to bless us. If we don't live in this way, we can expect God to judge us and to punish us. So we know sin by looking in the mirror of God's law. 
We also look, we also know sin by looking to the cross. So look at the cross and see how Christ died. We're reminded that sin deserves death. Rebellion against God, refusing to bow before him as King of kings and Lord of lords. This brings us under the wrath of God. The next thing that we need to know is how can we be saved? Again, we find this so clearly in God's word. Really, all of the Bible from the beginning of the Old Testament is pointing us towards Christ. And then after Christ has came, as he has accomplished salvation, the rest of God's word is telling us this is why Christ came, this is what he has done, and this is how it applies to us today. All of the scripture, it is, it is pointing us to Christ. It's revealing to us who he is and what he has done. And in God's word, we so clearly see Christ, the Son of God who became man, the one who lived a perfect, upright, righteous life, but then died a, an accursed death. He died a death that we as sinners deserve to die. Christ not only died, he rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven showing that his victory over death is complete. And it is by believing and trusting in Christ that we can be saved. Paul writes of this earlier in Ephesians 1 verses 13. And he says there, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation, this truth of who God is, who we are as people of sin and of salvation, this truth, this, this reality is something that we need to know, not just in our heads as information. These are things we need to know and to believe in our hearts, that we respond to, to the sin that we see by crying out to God. Jesus himself says to, to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, this belt of truth, these, these main details I've listed for you, these are things that many, if not all of you, are very familiar with. These are things that many of you have heard for, for year after year. But do you believe this? Is this more than information for you? Do you believe that, that God is as he has described himself in God's word? Do you see his love and his mercy in Christ, but also his holiness and his justice? Do you believe that God has created you, has given you life? But also that because of that, you will give an account to God for the way that you have lived. As we examine ourselves, how are we doing? As we think about the things that we do, the things that we say, and perhaps especially the things that we think, If we know the truth, do we not have to confess? 
Lord, I am a sinner. I have broken your law. I dishonor my parents. My anger makes me a murderer. My lust makes me an adulterer. My stealing and and taking things that don't belong to me or withholding things makes me a thief. My dishonesty, it makes me a liar. Lord, how can I stand before you? How amazing it is in that we can also know that in Christ, when we believe in him, our sins are forgiven. That guilt that we have, it's taken away. And it's, we receive the perfect righteousness of Christ. So that if we, as believers, when we come to stand before God on judgment day, God can look at us and not see a filthy sinner like us. But he sees in us the righteousness of Christ. As the catechism says, it's as though we never had committed any sins. And it's as though we personally had accomplished all that obedience that Christ has accomplished. This reality, this truth, this is something worth seeking. More importantly, this is something that's worth knowing. What's it going to profit you if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? So it's important that we have this truth, that we believe this truth, but also we need to use this truth. Let's see this in our third thought. Victory with the belt of truth. As we consider how we are to live, I want to stress again the most important question we need to answer first of all is, am I a believer? We don't need to worry about how we should live as Christians if we are not yet true Christians. This is foundational. This is where we always need to go back to and answer first of all, Have I turned away from sin? And have I fled to Jesus? Am I trusting in Christ? Have I taken refuge in Christ? But if by God's grace we can say yes. Yes, God has changed me. He has softened my heart. He has opened my eyes, not just to see my sins, but to see Christ. This also is going to affect the way that we live. Even as believers, as we grow in our knowledge of who God is, we come to a deeper understanding of who we are. As we see more of that glorious salvation that we have in and through Christ, we need to apply these things in our life. As we grow in our knowledge in all these different areas, Our ability to use God's word, to to use this belt of truth, it increases. One commentator writes, That's the reason many Christians set aside a particular time during the day to read the Bible and pray. We don't do it to prove our spirituality to God. We do it because it's a good way to grab hold of truth as we read the Bible And then in prayer to wrestle with how to apply that truth to our lives. The measure of that time of study and prayer is not, did it leave me with a warm glow all over? 
Rather, we should be asking ourselves after our devotions, did it equip me with truth? Is there some aspect of God's word that I now understand better, which I can now use more effectively in my life? Let's spend the last few minutes of our sermon thinking about ways we can practically use this belt of truth in our personal lives as we live in this world that's full of lies. Maybe you're here this morning and you're convicted of your sins. As the law is read to you, you know that you come short. You know that you're not prepared to meet God on judgment day. You know that you need a Savior. Yet Satan has been whispering to you, the invitations of the Bible, these don't apply to you. Only for those who really know that they are sinners. Only for those who who receive special invitation to come. Or Satan might tell you, the promises in the Bible, they're not for you. They're only for those who know that they're elect. Only for those who have received some kind of special insight into God's word. Or for those who have cleaned up their lives enough. But the belt of truth reminds us that God is the same today as he was 2,000 years ago. And Jesus, who came to seek and to save sinners, he continues to say to us this morning, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or he says to you, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. We can go back even further to the prophet Isaiah. We have a call and a promise there in Isaiah 55. And this this also continues to apply to us. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God for he will abundantly pardon as you may struggle with this, may I come to Christ? Does that invitation apply to me? Is that promise a promise that I can cling to? A promise that I can find hope and joy in? Take hold of this truth. Cling to it. Take it back to God in prayer and say, Lord, this is what I read in your word. Help me to believe it. Help me to, to stand on it. So you can use this belt when we doubt the gospel promises and invitations. You can also use this belt of truth when we're tempted to sin. And there are many sins that we can be tempted with, but I think in particular in the day that we live in, it's a temptation that Satan has used with great success. And that's a temptation to engage in some kind of sexual sin. Whether it's in the fantasies, of the, uh, fantasies of our mind, whether it's with lust, the lusting of our eyes, or to engage in some kind of immoral activity, Satan will come and tempt us saying, it's harmless. Everyone else is doing it. It's not fair that you have to wait. If you just do this, you'll feel better. You'll feel more loved. You'll feel accepted. 
you'll find relief. Satan might come to us with, with these temptations. We need to remind ourselves that God's law is good. God's law is like a fence that he has put around us to protect us from danger, to protect us from harm. God's law shows us how to live a life that is glorifying to God and to live in a way that is best for ourselves. We remember the truth that God is an overflowing fountain of good. So if God is telling us in his law and in his word, this is not the time or the place, this is not the way in which you can enjoy this gift, then we should submit to that. Not just submit to that truth, we should embrace that truth. We should thank God for giving us this instruction, for warning us, for for protecting us. What's true of this sin is true of every temptation to sin. We're tempted to cheat in school. We're tempted to lie in our tax return. When we're frustrated with our parents or others in authority, how we need to pray Lord, help me to see through the lies of Satan. Help me to remember your truth. This belt that you have given me to wear. This belt to keep me from sin and evil. One last way I want to show how we can use this belt is in in times of discouragement. In times when nothing seems to be going right and everyone seems to be against us. Satan can tempt us to act out, perhaps by hurting ourselves as we hope that if we, by doing that, others will, will see our pain and, and, and have sympathy for us. Maybe we're tempted to think that life is not worth living at all, that we should just commit suicide and, and be done with this. When we go through these struggles, or if we go through these struggles, the belt of truth reminds us that we're not alone as we sit in our rooms. It's, it's easy for us to say, our God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. But then when we sit in our room alone at night, we think that we're by ourselves. We forget that when God is everywhere, God is also here in our bedroom. He is here when we're driving in our car. He's here when we're maybe trying to find a place to hide and we don't want to be with anywhere, anyone else. So God is everywhere. And often for people going through this, they say, no one understands me. No one knows the pain I'm going through. No one knows how disappointed I am. But again, don't we confess that God is all-knowing? That the God whom we serve, that the God who has created us, the God who leads us, the God who is with us, this God knows everything. So that means He knows your pain. He knows your struggle. He knows how, how you feel like there's no hope, no, no light in the future. And how we need to remind ourselves Not only does God know all things, God is with me. And this God is good. This God is loving. This God has demonstrated his love in Jesus Christ. And if he has gave his own son, will he not also care for me and help me in my struggles? 
The belt of truth also reminds us that we're not the first to suffer. Not the first to, to face what seems to be impossible challenges or great inconsistencies. God's word points us to Job. Job, humanly, humanly speaking, he lost everything. God's word points us to Abram and Sarah who, who had the promise that they would receive a child and they waited month after month, year after year, decade after decade. God's word points us to Asaph who in Psalm 73 struggles so much as the wicked prosper and God's people are suffering. God's word points us to Habakkuk. And God tells him he's going to punish a sinful people with an even more sinful nation. And, and Habakkuk says, how can that be? How is that right? And yet each of these individuals I mentioned, in time they came to rest in God's care. They might not have completely understood everything that God was doing, but they came to believe and to confess that God is good. God is in control. God will make all things right. The belt of truth also reminds us that we are part of a church family, a place where broken people come to worship God, a place where sinners who, who struggled, who have made so many mistakes and failures in the past week, can come together. And again, what a blessing this is. What an encouragement this is to us. We're not alone. Not only is God with us, we have others around us that God has placed in our lives for a reason. We have an opportunity to, to share with them our struggles, to, to open up and to share our burdens that they may come alongside and encourage us and help us. And above all, the belt of truth reminds us that in Christ we can have hope. Because Christ is the ultimate warrior, the ultimate soldier. He faced sin and Satan. He laid down his life so that we can have life. In Christ, ultimately, we have hope. He overcame death in the grave. He tells us he has gone before us to prepare a place for us. But he's going to come back to bring us unto himself. There's much more that can be said about standing with the belt of truth. In light of the lies our culture believes regarding gender and marriage and sexuality, even the origins of the universe when life began, the purpose of life, modesty, how we should spend our money, and so many other things, but how thankful we can be that in all of these areas, we have God's Word. God has, is equipping us. And we have this responsibility to study God's Word and with His help to apply His Word to our lives. Well, dear congregation, are you here today wearing the belt of truth? Do you believe what the Bible is telling us about who God is, who we are, and how we can be saved through Christ alone? Is it something that gives you hope, gives you joy and confidence?
many of us may profess faith in Christ. We can be thankful for even seeing some fruit in our lives of how God is working in us and working through us. As we look back at the last weeks and months, how often have we stumbled? And how often have we given in to sin because we have not tightened that belt of truth around our waist? Because we have not used the means that God has given us. Let us confess our past failures. Let us confess that so often we believed Satan instead of believing God. Let us go to God with that and let us plead for forgiveness even for these sins because of what Christ has done. Let us also remember that we're not ultimately saved because we have such good understanding of the truth. That we're not ultimately saved because we have We are so effectively living this truth out in our lives that we are saved because Jesus Christ, he perfectly put on and he wore this belt throughout his whole life. We are saved when we trust in Jesus Christ, the glorious Son of God. And yet as saved sinners, we don't sit back and take it easy. Hear the call to battle. Stand, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Amen. Let us pray.